Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Korah, that's, that's the, uh, correlates to Numbers 16 through 18. Before I go into my spiel about it, that this, uh, this topic, uh, any comments or questions? If you, if you know, those in the audience, raise your hand. And those who are on a line, uh, you unmute yourself and or raise your hand up or whatever, flag up so we can, we can, we can hear you. Uh, yes, Tammy. Number 16, verse 1. In most translations, and I'm just going to use the NASB, it roughly says, basically, now Korah, the son of Azar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, with Datan and Avram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Palat, the sons of Reuben, it might say like took action or they rose up or something like that. Ah, right. But I liked when I noticed your translation says something different. Yes, the first verse mine says, Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, separated himself with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliav, and On, the son of Pelach, the offspring of Reuben. They stood before Moses with 250 men from the church of Israel. They assembly, those summoned to the meeting, men of renown. Yeah. They gathered together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, too much for you, yada, yada, Yeah, so it's mainly that verse one where your translation, himself. which is um, a Jewish translation, yes. talks about um, Korah and um, separating himself from yes. the assembly. Yes. So Actually, we're, we're, that's, part of my, that's part of my topic today, actually. <laughs> that word phrase, because... The the Hebrew word separate and the word gathered is actually the same root word, same same base word. They mean um, uh, uh, not the same thing per se, but they mean very very similar, and they're grouped together. And it's not the same word that Moses uses when he says like holy, for example. It's not quite the same phrase. Oh, go ahead, Jeff. Your, your hand was up. Pamela has a question. Oh, go ahead, Pamela. I have a question about the covenant of salt. Uh, yes, covenant of salt. That's uh, let's see, verse. It's eight, chapter eighteen, verse. Uh, where was it? Uh, I'm looking for the verse off the top of my head. Where is it? Where, verse. It's verse nineteen. Verse nineteen. Oh, there it is. So everything set aside. Is uh, raise you come in, daughters with you. Portion. Oh, there it is. It is an eternal salt-like covenant or covenant of salt before Yehovah uh, for you and your offspring with you. Yes. What's your question about that topic? Just curious what it, what, what it meant, no, or do you, 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 you want to know what it means? No. Okay, so okay, so the, the the covenant of salt. So salt has a, a there's there's obviously functional properties of salt, but when it comes to Torah is concerned, salt has a function, symbolic meaning of preservation and permanency. So the idea is that uh, we, we we actually have the same principle. We call it brining or or or, or um, uh, you preserve food that way. For example, you can put like pickles. We, we, that's how we make pickles, right? You put cucumbers in the salt brine. It turns them into pickles we, and it preserves them for a long period of time. Same thing with the uh, other products too. You can salt meat, for example, like it lasts a long time. The purpose of salt is for a permanency that it will not degrade, decompose, or become unacceptable later on, un- unedible. Messiah uses that in his comments when he says, become steward of the salt of the earth, right? If, if it loses its flavor, it's no good to be thrown out on the ground and be trampled by men. It's the same concept. 
Now, also, we also learn from when God commands us to, or when commanded the people, children of Israel, to offer their grain offerings, with the exception of, there's, I think there's one or two that don't. I think that the sin offering doesn't have salt in it. I can't remember the top of my head off. I have to look up again. But most of the grain offerings require salt to go with it, with the grain offering itself. It's not grain by itself. You mix it with salt. Uh, it, it's all attached to it. So the purpose of the salt is a preservation cycle. So the, 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 the implication or the symbolic meaning behind it is to make things last, to make it be valuable for a long period of time. So any reference you have to salt is that, is to, is that something is preserved or of value and does not decompose or go away. So it says you were the salt of the earth. What would that mean then? Well, then your job is to make the earth valuable and not degrade and go away. Your, your, your functionality, not just like the plants and trees and bushes, I'm to human beings as far as their functionality. So if, if, you, if we as a people allow the earth to degrade into disgusting behaviors of human beings, then we're no longer doing our job as salt of the earth. We're no longer flavoring it of making it of usefulness and preserving the instructions god gave us to live and how to live the functionality of the salt is to do that as a symbol of course to give us the the idea or the concept to bring value to whatever it is you are salting so in this case this is a salt-like covenant that you are to permanently preserve the instructions here that you will have value to it so let's pretend for a minute, as a contrast, that this was not done. So if I, if, if Aaron was not supposed to be the salt-like covenant, then I can offer this grain offering out there in the field over there. Right there, behind that, probably behind the water, the fire hydrant. And God would say, good job. But would he? Well, of course not. I'm not preserving what Aaron was instructed to do. I'm not giving to Aaron and his Levites what they were instructed to do. I am bypassing them. Therefore, I'm not preserving it. If I'm not preserving it, I am degrading it. I am making it common, not valuable. So that's the, that's the principle behind it. So anytime you have the salt-like covenant, which, which is this listed, or Messiah, your salt the earth concept, uh, comment, or salt being added to any of the grain offerings, so it does have the salt for, for almost all of them. I think the sin offering does not. I could be wrong. I double-check that. But uh, the, the, the objective is to preserve this way of doing things only this way. So we understand that today, modern day world, is the way of life. God's way of life. Preserve God's way of life. Not my own. Not what I think God wants. But what God said he wants. If I say, okay God, I read this section here and I'm going to reinterpret it and I will kind of do bits and parts with the work well for me and my convenience, and I'll do it like this over here. Okay, that's not what God said. So I am taking sections out of context, applying them however I see fit, and saying, this is good enough. God didn't say it was good enough. I am interjecting my own opinion. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't do something. You can do whatever you want to do, but don't put value upon so that God didn't put value upon. Because I'm not then preserving God's way of life. I'm preserving my own tradition. What I said I want to do. Because I think it's a good idea. And I said so. I am no longer salt. I am now dirt. Cast out. It's not, not a value. Now, I'd not say that you, you can't do things that are valuable to you or that you value. 
but don't place them in the position of God said this, thus I shall do this way or interpret this way outside of what he instructed us to do. Does that make sense? So Salt Lake Covenant is a permanency that will preserve for a long period of time or theoretically forever. Does that make sense, Pamela? Thank you for the comments. I appreciate that analysis. Sure. Any comments or questions out there in the audience or on the... Yes, we can, thank you, Pamela. Yes, we heard you. Any comments or questions regarding this, this short portion thus far? Uh, yes, Jared. Is there a difference between a plague and the plague as we read in this Torah portion because when God sends out his wrath he says Moses tells Aaron go out do the the ritual because the plague is out as far that's an interesting question so when we in, are you referring to is it the plague like we like the black plague bubonic plague right that kind of concept are you referring uh, or well that's what we know when we when, when, we, when nowadays, we use we the say, term when we say the plague we think typically bubonic plague plague right, doctors right, right, right. Uh, you know England right. but in the Torah Moses doesn't say a plague of the Lord or the Lord's plague it's just the plague right is that right. simply just a translation a poor translation from Hebrew into English yeah, and we so, read it as oh this is a very special plague because it says the or is it just yeah. a plague but we Trans- mistranslated to a plague. So uh, to answer that question, you have to go back to David. So in David's scenario, when God he, he counted the people, wasn't supposed to count them, right? And and the, the he was he was Nathan said, "Hey, okay, God's giving you three options. You if it's, you turn over your enemies for three months, or I've got there are three different choices, or or God for three days, right? The God will correct you to kill people for three days. And David says, "Better God, because at least He has mercy and men don't." So he chose God. And so a plague went to the land. Now, the plague that in the, in the image you were given was an angel with a sword drawn. Now, it, it, because it appears only David could see it, I would, I mean, this is my assumption. This is my personal interpretation. I don't think people were just walking around and their bodies slashed, slashed in half and uh, just out of thin air. More than likely, they just died from whatever they died. Whatever the plague was, it killed thousands of people, or however, I forgot the number. I don't think it says how many died. A whole bunch of people died. So, in that instance, the plague was the angel with a sword drawn. In that instance, that David was referring to. Now, I'm not arguing there was a bunch of blood scattered the ground. I'm arguing the, the, the angel sword drawn was symbolic of an angel was causing the death of, of people in a particular way, whatever the way was. Now, there are multiple types of plagues, if that's the case. If the angel symbolically has a sword drawn, which we may interpret as, oh, look, it's typhus or something. Oh, it's killing people quickly. It's mass disease. We don't know the details of what was killing them. We also the same scenario with Sennacherib. Sen- I think it was I could get the name wrong. The guy who was, who was besieging uh, Hezekiah's uh, at, uh, the Jerusalem. It was bad bad mouthing gods, how pathetic he was, you blah blah blah. In Hebrew somebody else could hear him. He wakes the next morning and his entire army's just dropped dead. They're all dead. What happened? Nobody came and slit their throats, they just died that night. And all he was just him and a few others that were still alive and they ran home. I assume they'd left the dead bodies. So that plague, whatever the plague was, God doesn't necessarily have to use we consider the black plague or the bubonic plague. It's more there's another term for it, I forgot the, the official name for it, but anyway, uh, the, the, the actual bacteria. But uh, it could be any disease-causing thing that spreads in that way. And that's okay. So it doesn't have to be what we interpret as English as the plague, referring to the bubonic plague. It could be any disease that kills quickly. The bubonic plague 
killed rather quickly, but wasn't the fastest killing plague. Uh, there are other plagues that actually killed faster, but uh, were not as easily transmittable. So it, it varies some. So we don't know which plague it necessarily was. Whatever plague Moses was referring to killed obviously very, very fast. So I don't think it's a bubonic plague because it doesn't kill that quickly. It took like five days to kill somebody, if I recall correctly. The average person was from contraction to dead was about five days. And most of this in one morning. Uh, yes, uh, uh, Larry. Yeah, I, I think it's just the plague that was going to do that one. Yeah, well, yeah whatever, whatever disease the it was plague, or whatever There's thing. also a reference to that in, in Revelation you know, when, the, when the angel casts his censor down on the earth. And I think it's in Zechariah where it says he's getting ready to kill everything on earth. But the angel throws down the, the, the censor like, like Aaron did and stops stops it, it that all from and that's what saves us yep. as as the um if we are getting saved you know if we're the if we are the chosen the anointed or however how it says the mark with the preserved the mark. right those those who were set aside yeah. uh, distinguished separately right he goes and says okay if you throw that i guess some like just like aaron go throw this thing down and stop this right and he allows that to happen but he was going to kill everybody apparently yep, yep. It, 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 you'll notice that there's a lot of thematic re- repeats in your bibles <laughs> god does repeat repetition really, really well uh even today we'll talk a little bit about moses and uh the accusations brought against him uh about that god was listening to those and it's, his, it, it, it's interesting how god replays stuff so you'll notice in your own personal lives, probably those of you who've been around and had seen your own life as you grow up in life and, and, and live and do stuff, that some things you can pronounce a curse upon yourself and not realize it. Um, you say, well, okay, I, I won't repeat the man's name, but there's certain individuals who, who've said, well, hey, if this happens, may I, may I you know, die from this or may I get sick from that because it couldn't happen. Why do I, what? And then later on, they get sick from that. Like, oh, oops the point is that god hears your words hears everything you say hence the whole idea of curse and bless not come from the same mouth <laughs> that god hears them all let's <laughs> so watch what we're saying so this includes whether it be the people of korah and dathan and abiram or whether it be the 250 people or the people of the nation uh, the, the children of israel god's hearing all the words we say and every event and he records it like, well that's too much for me right as as even came this is too much for me uh, it may be that God, it may be too much for you in some ways, but God can walk you through it in spite of yourself. But uh, yeah, we'll watch what we're saying and how we're doing things. And so uh, when it comes to repetition of events, in the case of Aaron standing between, as, as you correctly pointed out, uh, Larry, and Aaron standing between to, to stop the plague, God reuses those two. So that was a blessing to the people of Israel, and he reuses the symbol again and again multiple times. He, he, our Bibles are written for symbolic message giving to understand them that way to interpret and read them that way so we can understand the value of what our God does and that he remembers everything there's nothing he didn't remember until he chooses uh, yes Pat yeah, your, your hand is up unmute yourself Pat so we can, uh, so we can hear you on, on, the, on the Zoom Saying that we can't hear you. Oh, okay. Maybe, well, if, if you if maybe your hand was up by mistake, I'm not sure. Anyhow, um, so yeah, so re- repetition is important like, to God as far as how He repeats stuff. Our Torahs re- re- full of repetition. That's how we that's how we learn because we learn through repetition. And if you had to learn how to learn how to read and write, 
Did you learn it the first time? Alright, here's A, B, C. Did you learn it and memorize it? Saw it once, you got it memorized? Yeah. <laughs> Pat, your hands up again. You have to unmute yourself. We, we can't hear you because your mute, your mute button is on. your hands up. That's right. Well, I'm not sure how to, how to unmute. I, guess, I, don't, I don't think I can unmute you. That's right. Well, if you figure out how to unmute yourself, Pat, we can, we can, we can, you can, we can, we can hear you there. Right now we can't hear you because your mute, your muted microphone is muted. Uh, let's see here. So let's figure out. We'll, we'll move forward a little bit. So, uh, things we want to talk about today, uh, in particular, as far as, uh, this repetition and these problems occur up, is that God made sure there were certain symbols retained, in particular, the, uh, the, the sensors that were brought up as a reminder to people as far as the, the covering, as well as, of course, the, 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 the rot, Aaron's rotted or butted staff was also retained as a reminder. Because again, when we learn how to do things, we had to learn them by repetition. So repetition is a method which we learn stuff. So God reminds us. And he, we even sometimes he tells us to remind him. So that's a, that's a good thing to know. So throughout our repetition story today, we'll tell a little bit about repetition about today. Uh, in particular, let's start from the beginning. Uh, so Korah, Dathan, Abiram, the two hundred fifty men plus it says on but he, uh, the early first chapter verse uh, verse uh, on the he was the son of uh, Pelet. Uh, he's never mentioned again, so we're not sure if he just said you know he cried uncle and, and walked away. <laughs> Or maybe he was part of the 250 that killed. I don't really know. But these men, however, they chose to arise themselves by separating themselves out from uh, the rest of the children of Israel, of course, along with the Thon of Biram, the sons of Eliav. They decided to separate themselves out. Now, this is an important concept to understand. So, I, I, I say important concept because even modern day today, we have the same problem. We, we, we have this, this idea of separation and, and how this has worked. So, picture this for a minute. You have the entire body of children of Israel, all as one massive group, right? Now, God within, we already know, he took Levi, a section, a tribe with the inside that group, and separated them out. He didn't, pull them a, he didn't pull them in some special location. He just distinguished them amongst group and then scattered them amongst the people. The people. So, Levi was... What was 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 still amongst the people, and of course Moses and Aaron amongst people. You will note that Korah and Tanabirim as well, in their world view, their view of the people is that we're all one people, we're all one group, we're all one as a unit, as a nation, as 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 a body. So there is no distinguishing between one Joe Schmo, another Joe Schmo. They're all the same, right? They're all the same group. So in his in, in his worldview, in Korah's worldview, uh, unlike God's, Korah's view is you, Moses, and Aaron are the same as us. There's no difference between you and us. We're all identical. So you're not greater, or even that better, better lower, than anybody else. That sounds really good. We talked about this before in the past. Yeah, it, it, it's very—it's a populist viewpoint. Hey, everybody, we're all together. We're band together as a community. We'll all do this one thing. It sounds very nice and very pleasant, but in reality, what actually winds up happening? Have you ever been part? What was that? What was that? Communism. Yeah. Have you ever been part of a uh, 
when you guys were in school or even a project at work and there was a team of you working on certain things. Have you been part of a team before? Yeah, you probably have. At least once, once twice in your life. Now, sometimes a team, everybody does a part of it and does a really good job, does their own piece, they contribute to it, they put the whole team, the whole project works fairly well. Me personally, I've run for a few teams. I've run for one that did that. But all the other teams, <laughs> one or two people do 90% of the work and the others just kind of hang around like, like Caltrans workers sometimes, <laughs> living on their shovels watching, right? You notice it's, it's not all teams that way, but it does happen more often than not. So even amongst the community and amongst the children of Israel, it invariably shows up that a few hard, distinguishing, trying people who are striving to do well tend to rise up and actually do more. And you will note, if you're ever at work or, or ever in, your, in, your, in your, your schooling, when you're in schooling, that the better you do, the more successful you are, the more things are given to you to do. Right? <laughs> it's like, bummer. <laughs> right. You did such a good job. Here, do this too. Oh, here, do this also. And more is given to you. But what's the consequence when more is given to you? What was that? The Peter Principle. Explain Peter Principles to, to us. Uh, Where you are incompetent you rise to a position to it to become incompetent <laughs> that does happen sometimes that is true i, I won't say it doesn't i've never been in that position i've gotten that high um in 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 my world when when my boss or my instructor from school or my teammates want to give more things to me they're actually expecting me to get it done have you noticed that okay we gave it to you because now you have to actually do it as opposed to just hang out and, and just kind of piddle about and do what you want to do. You know, it's, you're expected to actually finish it. So typically, at least from my personal experience, the more you're given to do, usually you're expected to actually do it, right? And the more you do it, the more you're given to do. It's a never-ending hamster wheel, so to speak. You, you, do, you run a little faster, okay, now... Here's more, a little faster, here's more, a little faster. Keep going more and more and more and more and more because they, they know you can do it. Whoever is giving it to you, whether it be your instructor, your teammates, your family, uh, your, what, what, your household, whatever it may be, your, your, your work, the make a difference. The more you're given, the more you're expected from you and therefore they give you more. And it goes, it, the cycle that goes that way. It's pretty common. It's the nature of human beings. Uh, yes, uh, Larry, hands up again. Do it anymore. You get so much until you just can't do it anymore. Right. Then you stretch. Then, then you stretch too thin. You've got. You've gotten so much. You go. I've. I've. I've burned out. The hamster got tired. <laughs> now the wheel spins with him just hanging out in it as it goes around in a circle, as this wheel has taken over his power, and it's in control of him. So that that does happen. So it goes too far sometimes. So in this instance, when we deal with Moses and Aaron, we already know some of the history of Moses, right? We know how he was given a certain amount. He tried to take too much initially. He had to escape Egypt because he took too much. Tried to, tried to take more, more than he was, or was able to. He had to flee and run, right? But as fleeing and running for, I think it was about 40 years or thereabouts, a long time in the wilderness, right? Into the burning bush. So what was Moses' first response? The burning bush request. That's too much for me. I can't do that. Choose somebody else. Choose somebody else who can do it, not me. I th- I, it's too much for me. 
Moses was the reluctant, I don't want to do this too much work. I can't, this is, this is, this is beyond my ability. God, you're asking too much of me. I can't do this. Ask somebody else. And of course, after a series of arguments, God finally said, you're going to go anyway, but I'll send Aaron with you. Out of a little bit of anger that came out of God's voice, we don't, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily t- tell all of God's emotional state, but he wasn't too pleased initially. So it is, it is clear that Moses initially didn't want a lot of responsibility. He thought it was too much for him to do. Now, as time went on, we go through the 10 plagues, right? All 10 plagues. And of course, going to Pharaoh and such. A question for you. Imagine yourself back there for a moment. Just, just imagine if you're back, you're seeing, you hear Moses. You're, you're part of the Israelites, right? Well, you go, I don't need which side you are. You'd be Egypt or Egypt. It makes a difference. You're seeing the things that Moses is doing because you're just seeing Moses do it. Do you imagine that Moses is doing this with his, under his own power? Or do you imagine he's doing this under the power of God? Now, if you're an Egyptian worldview, you'd think he has some power of God with him. He has like some, some, so one of the gods has, has he, maybe Moses is a god for all the Egyptian worldview. But what's Moses keep telling the Israelites? The Lord sent me. Your God sent me to do this. This is under his hand. This is how he's going to deliver you. Those are Moses' words, the Israelites. So they understood that regardless of what I'm seeing, what I'm seeing is just the appearance. In reality, God's doing the work. So I've asked you a question then. When Korah comes up and rebels against and says, hey, this is, you, you take too much for you, Moses. We're all holy. Did Korah think that Moses was doing all of these miracles, all of these instructions, all he was commanding the cloud to do stuff? Did he think Moses did it under his own power? Or did he realize that God was giving Moses the power. Now, in reality, we think this is a simple, obvious question. We know full well that, 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 that God was one doing the power. But in Korah's word argument, he doesn't seem to think that. He points out to Moses, you took too much for yourself, Moses. He appointed his own brother as high priest, right? The Pekinian priests. And that Moses was giving all these laws, these instructions. Oh, by the way, you guys aren't going to go to the promised land for the next 40 years because you screwed up. As if Moses was responsible for all of it. So, so Korah, his word choice, though I'm sure he was smarter than this, his word choice was to try to pin this, all the negatives upon Moses, wasn't it? as if Moses had overtook or overstretched himself and make himself stronger than he was. Uh, yes, Pamela, your hand is up. Uh, mute yourself so we can hear you. Well, um, I was amazed, too, that when the people were killed um, by the plague, that Moses and Aaron got the blame. They don't seem to realize that it was God behind the scenes. Right. So this is an interesting point. So somehow the people over the past... This is roughly about two years into it, thereabouts, a year and a half, two years into, into, the, into the, about two years into the cycle of them first coming out of Egypt. This is roughly about two years later, a year and a half, two years later, they seem to have made this mental switch in their head as if uh, the, 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 the God of Israel was not part of this whole process of how they got out of Egypt. Uh, yes, Isaac. Korah was a good politician. Yes, he was a good politician. So Korah's... Korah's techno- technique was to 
rally the people through what we call a populist viewpoint. Hey, you're all good. We're all great. We're good people. If we band together, we'll be holy and righteous and God will be thrilled with us. We'll all be successful. Come, let's join me. Join our group. You're just like us. I'm just like you. We're all holy together as a great, wonderful people, right? Now, Korah's ulterior motive, of course, as Thanabirim was, as he actually explicitly stated, the thought of Biram pointed out, Moses, you failed to do everything you promised. Clearly, the thought of Biram belief was that they could succeed at whatever they promised, because they weren't going to follow Moses, they want people to follow them. That they would lead them back to Egypt, of course, that was the intent. They'd be the, the leaders of the people. So, they believed that if they rallied the people around them, they would rise atop as their leaders and then lead them on the way that they see as fit, as a good politician would do, which is very wise in politics. In the case of, of, of Moses being, as he pointed out, the humblest man on who ever lived, <laughs> the humblest man ever lived, he had all this massive power, but did he abuse it? See, what happens to men when we have lots of power given to them? What's the first thing they do? First, they demonstrate it, see how, how much power I have. But then, even at that time, they might just start. They start using it to their own personal advantage. Get, 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 get the girl. <laughs> they start using their own power to try to gain what they want out of the system, whatever it may be. Whether it's to get people to support you, money, wealth. These are the three sins, right? Lust, the flesh, lust, the eyes are part of life. That's the cycle of how people work. Yes, Rose. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a proven fact that power corrupts. It does. If you don't have God, if you don't have God backing you up. Uh, power corrupts. So in the case of Moses, he has power in the form of, because obviously even his, he uses his, his, his plague that he condemns Korah with, or I said, don't have with their whole tents opening up and swallowing their, their, their household. He has power, but he doesn't abuse the power. Well, isn't that an example of abuse of power? Well, no. It's not an abirum or want to lead the people back to Egypt. And not a to do it. Right, so the word choice of Moses, which, um, to be fair, I didn't watch the video, but apparently Aleph Beta covers this topic fairly well uh, on, on the Korah. Uh, uh, my, my, uh, Ellie had brought this up to me uh, this morning. That the whole idea of how they were swallowed and why they were swallowed. We might get to that shortly, as opposed to dying the plague that God uh, put forth. We'll discuss that and possibly shortly from now. Well, I do, I but, do have one more question. Y- yes, go ahead. When he got, when he got swallowed up, uh, when they, when they swallowed, swallowed up the whole uh, group of folks, yep. do, they, do they get another chance? Do they get another chance? Explain. Are they gone forever? Are they come up in the resurrection? Uh, oh, oh, right, right, right. So, no, um, yeah, don't, uh, it, okay, so this is a, I know it's not a very popular concept uh, for, for many people, but, uh, in, 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 you never know the moment when a person feels regret. Now, we can interpret when they feel regret that, whoops, I made a mistake. We never know the exact moment in time that I made a mistake, I did the wrong choice. So, because I don't know when that happened, it could have happened the moment they could, they could have, they, they could have felt, felt regret the moment they were falling down in the pit, but I was, oops, I went too far. I didn't realize I made the mistake. We don't know when that was. 
So there's no way of, because we don't know when the person realizes that they should repent, when that occurs, only God does. I no, no one can answer that question. We don't even know if Stalin, Mao, and Hitler repented. Meaning, not in life, but at the moment which, they, which well, because Hitler killed himself, the moment which he died, we don't know if they said, this was not the wise choice. This was a bad choice. Because, so I don't know that event. You can't say God, can, God would not forgive or have the option open for them. So we can't answer the question, Rose. Most likely, since they were flesh and blood, Cor was a flesh and blood person, just, just a man, nothing fancy about him. Uh, most likely, like all men, he'll give the opportunity to meet God regardless of his past. Everyone has the opportunity to meet God. But God is the one who decides whether their repentance was sincere at the moment in which they passed away or not. That's all within his realm. It's well beyond mine. Uh, yes, Larry. There's also the thing of their families were all killed at the same time. Right, which and is they unusual. they may be innocent. So. Totally innocent, exactly. This is an interesting question. So this brings up, which is a common, common uh, question which God had pointed out through Ezekiel, that uh, men are held accountable to their own sins. Now, how is it the Korah's family and Adonibiram's family all went down with him, with them? They're little ones too. Uh, yes, uh, Jared. Except for Korah's sons. Correct. Except for Korah's sons. So, not all of... Since it's Korah's sons, we know a number, I don't know how many, at least... that has sons, it's plural. So, at least two. <laughs> Could be more, I'm not sure. Did not die with him. So he had family, but his others were obviously old enough outside of his tent that were not part of him. And so they were not under his, his power or influence at that time. They did not apparently agree with their father. It is completely possible that the Thanabiram also had sons or family that were not part of or had separated themselves away and said, Dad, I disagree with you. You're just wrong. This is not how it was. And didn't have the power-hungry mentality that the Korah and Thanabiram had in this process. Now, we have to presume, I have to presume, we all have to presume, that those who passed and died under Korah, or in his tent, were those who either made decisions to follow him, or were too young to make decisions. So, when we, for those of you who are unaware of the concept, um, Children are under their father's household until they reach a certain age. Either, for example, the Torah points it for women when they're married, they become under their husband's household. Right? Whatever happens to their husband's household happens to that that woman. With sons, when they are of age, at least twenty or older, they are under their own household, their own decision making. But when the daughter is still young, or is the husband, or the condition is her husband dies, she has no kids. There's certain certain scenarios which the daughter can go back under the father's household, but the sons you can't. Sorry, <laughs> once you're twenty, you don't get to go back under your dad's household. You 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 are permanently separate. You don't have the option. Dad want to come home. It doesn't work that way. So sons, no, you're out. But daughters can go back under. So anybody who died within Korah's tent, or anyone who died within Dathan and Biram's tent. If they were of 20 or older, they are choosing to follow Korah or choosing to follow the Thanabiru if they're males. If they're females, they may just not be married yet. However, if they, uh, if they are too young, they are younger than 20, they are under their parents' guidance and instruction. So they may or may not have a disagreement, but they are still under their guidance and instruction to follow. 
So they will follow whatever the household does until they are of age. So obviously points out even young ones died in this one. So little, little ones died too. They were still under the households. They were still, whatever happens to the household happens to everybody. So for example, we understand this concept very readily. We all say that what happens if a household has no food? Nobody eats because there's no food. So even the little ones, the household, there's no food. The, the, the lack of food affects the entire household, right? What happens if your electricity is shut off? Well, it affects even the little ones in the house, as well as the older ones in the house, as well as the open house. Electricity shut off affects the entire household. Does this affect your, your neighbor? Unless, of course, the city shut off. <laughs> your neighbor may be a separate issue. But whatever affects your household affects everyone with it inside the household equally. Even though I may say, well, that's not fair. Well, yeah, you may argue it's not fair, but God's ways aren't the same as man's ways. Our definition of fairness is not the same as his definition of fairness. So we can't, we can't complain and say, God, you did it wrong, or this shouldn't be how it, how it should be. God says, this is how my way is. If you're under the household and you are within this household, I affect the entire household. Right? Uh, for example, another example, what happens if a household, um, actually, this is a good example, uh, uh, smoking, right? A, parents, a parent smokes, and the children have to deal with all the secondhand smoke, right? Within the household. Does the smoking only affect the parent? No. Who's it affect? The children, too, because they're in the household. So even negative things affect the entire household, just like positive things do. What happens if you get a, a $10,000 rebate check for the government because they print money like crazy? Well, the whole household, not, 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 I'm not saying you dole it out evenly and distribute amongst all your kids, but the point is that the whole household received a blessing, so the household gets whatever they're going to get or pays what they're going to pay. It, it affects the entire household as a group. Now, once a household, somebody's grown up and they're outside the household, they're their own household and affects their children accordingly. So whatever happened to Korah within his tent happened to him and those who were within his house or chose to follow him. Same with the Talatabiram. It affects all of us. So, as a parent, what is your responsibility and mine? Everything we do affects our whole household, doesn't it? Sometimes decisions are hard to make. It affects everybody. Either there's a bad decision. It affects everybody. Hence, what does God point out? Parents, here's the instructions for life. Teach your children well and follow them. And you'll do okay. You're not going to be the Monte billionaire, but you'll do just fine. All right? So the household affects everybody. So yeah, this is going to affect them all, including obviously Korah and everybody, including their children, who were still within their house. Those outside were not affected by, by, by this. Now, I can't speak to the ones who died in the plague. I'm not sure how, what, what their viewpoint was. I, I didn't ask. Anyhow, so in, in, in this Torah portion, which we're covering, I have a time, a little, little, little slow on time. I apologize. I'll speed up a little, speed up a little bit. So uh, we have different worldviews. So Korah's worldview is we're all the same. He'll rally people together, populist viewpoint. You're all great. You're all holy. You're all good. God loves you. You love me. Let's raise me to the top. We'll lead you all to great wonderfulness. And God's worldview doesn't work that way. God's worldview says, no, here's Israel. I separated them out from the world. Stop. God took Israel separate out from the world. He took one person, what was one group of people, isolated them out from the rest of the world, didn't he? He took them out of Egypt, didn't he? Put them in the wilderness for 40 years, right? He took them out. He didn't say, "Hey, stay in Egypt. 
live there and you'll just live differently. He didn't do that. He took them out of. But out of them, he took out of them. He isolated them into their family groups. Okay, Levi, I'm isolating you and grouping you toward the middle of it, separating you out from everybody else. You don't live amongst everybody else. You're being separated. He took Moses and Aaron, separated them too. See, God's worldview doesn't work the same as man's worldview, does it? God's worldview is, I separated you out to be distinctly different. And therefore, with inside you, I also separate groups as well. Inside that, they're distinctly different. Each group has its own requirements. And what's the requirement for Levi? The closer you are to God, the more he requires of you. What's the requirement for Aaron? And remember, his two sons were burned up. The closer you are to God, the more he requires from you. Wind's picking up here. Like a tornado. Not really. Here. That works. So your worldview and God's worldview are not necessarily the same worldview. So in the case of Korah, as I point out, you know, or and, and the politician and, and Jared, the communist point, the point is that it is a it is a it is a, a method which gets all the people to support you and your cause. Did Moses do any of that? Did Moses try to rally the people together and support him in his cause? Every time he went, God told him, Moses, go do this. Moses, go do that. Moses, go do this. Moses, go do that. He didn't say, Moses, convince all the people that they should all go do this. He didn't say, Moses, if you just spoke well enough, you'd be a good, politi- good political leader and can lead the people and they would all want to do this right thing. Did God tell Moses or assign him that task? No. Because who's responsible for those individual decisions? Each individual. I am. He is, she is. You are each person. You're all responsible for the decisions you make. All right? That even includes when you may have an assignment given to you that is immoral, illegal. Or my grandfather says, fattening. (laughs) You have to make those decisions. Even though your superior said, go do this, and you say, but that's wrong. I can't do that. That's your decision-making functionality. I won't do that because it's the wrong thing to do. Even though you told me you're my superior, my, in some cases, my parent, some cases, my boss, my commanding officer, or whatever, whatever your world section life is, this is an immoral act. God said, don't do this. Therefore, I won't do it. Right? We all have the decision-making responsibilities. So, God didn't say, Moses convinced everybody the right thing. Do your campaign trail. Put on all the video screens. Every camera, every news angle. Get all the, all the news guys to, to support you in, in, their, in their news articles. He didn't convince them. that He said, you're going to do this, Moses. This is your job. Just do what I tell you to do. Everybody else, you have your job. Do what I told you to do. So God has this as individual responsibilities that we happen to live within a community. It's kind of a strange scenario, but a community only works if each person is a participant, right? We have to participate under the same instructional laws and rules, don't we? Else we're no longer a civilized community. We're now barbarians. If, we, if every man for himself, we're no different than an animal. 
we live in a community, but we all have response for our own tasks, our own actions. In Cora's case, he was not interested in that type of world, or that type of, 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 of life. He wanted everybody to support him in his way to instruct them that this is how we want to lead you. So I'll move a little bit quicker because there's something I want to talk about in particular about this. So we discussed that God's method is isolate the groups out, separate them out into individual sections. Each one has their own responsibility. Every person is responsible for what you do and your household does. You are responsible for it. You have your instructions, now follow your instructions. Don't depend upon your leader to do it for you or anybody else to do it for you. Do your own instructions. Cora's worldview is we're all in this together. We all work as a team to get the one thing, whatever one thing we want done, done. If we don't work as a team, we're all going to perish in the wilderness as they all decide they're going to do. So let's move a little bit past that. Uh, okay, so in the case when Cora, as I mentioned before, when Cora had points out you both should take too much upon yourself to do all this stuff moses said hey you know, Moses actually didn't, didn't reply very well he didn't reply much at all point out that hey god is he's just the this, if you want to do this you don't believe with the here's your your instructions follow your fire pan rule right which they should have won't be, be be warned by that but what was messiah's answer when they asked him about this type of thing luke 20 verse 2 oh, 20 thank you okay <laughs> i said um and that Moses pointed out, okay, he could have asked Korah, by whose authority have I done all these things? Could he not have asked that? And put yourself in Korah's shoes. What's going to be your answer? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just want the best, right? So, but the Pharisees were, cons- were upset with Messiah because what authority did they have? Well, their traditional authority given to what they thought through Moses, which of course was a bit inaccurate. But that's what they thought they had. But the authority that they were accusing Messiah of not having is you don't have the authority to do all these things. Messiah pointed out that I do. Here's the example. You answer this question first. Because the same authority that, that John the Baptist did these things, same authority I've got as far as Messiah is speaking to. So the, the Pharisees' goal was to point out, Messiah, you are going, you, you've gone too far. You take too much upon yourself. You too much authority you've given to yourself to do all these miracles. Dumb question for a minute. Here's a really dumb question. Miracles? <laughs> really dumb question. Uh, what authority does it take to do a miracle? I, I, maybe just me? But I have yet to accomplish and do one myself. How about you? <laughs> Any miracles you've done? Right? Uh, all on your own. I, I, if you just let us know, because I'm really curious. Uh, the, it's a really dumb question. By whose authority do you do these things? So Moses replied to Cora, okay, dumb question, Cora. Whose authority did I do all these miracles with? Then you remember the 10 plagues you lived by that was only two years ago? The 10 plagues we all walked through right? All the, 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 the manna from heaven, the quail, by whose authority, the fire, the clouds, what authority, who gave you the power to do these things? Did I take it upon myself? Did I say, God, you're going to obey me, therefore I'm, I'm somehow having this massive wielding power and can control God? It's an absurdly dumb question with an absurdly easy answer, right? By whose authority? Well, look at what's happening. Messiah pointed out, if you question me, look at the miracles I'm doing. 
Don't look at the work. If, if you won't believe me, believe what you're seeing, all the miracles happening. It's not that men can do this, all right? If nothing else, believe your own eyes, you're seeing these things. But Korah's goal was not to say, oh, God has blessed Moses and God is allowing this to happen to Moses. Korah's goal was get the people to involve themselves and follow Korah, as a good politician does. To divert, <laughs> redirect your attention over here, don't watch what the hand's doing, want to look at this one instead, to maintain control. So, in Matthew 20 was the next one I was going to go to, uh, which was the record of when Zebedee's, the two sons of Zebedee, uh, uh, their mother came to Messiah and said, hey, we want to follow you. This is great. Can you put my two sons at your right and left hand above your throne? And Messiah's reply after a few details about, you know, can you even do this? <laughs> the two men said to me, he can. He says, okay, yeah, I believe you can. But the authority to sit at my right and left hand is God's to give, not mine. No matter what happens, whatever position you're selected, Korah, the job was that God assigned you that job, Korah. This job you were given to was not a bad job, Korah. You were assigned to help carry all the holy sections, holy pieces of the temple as you're carrying things around. Not you alone, but your, your family. So these aren't evil things you're doing. These aren't negative things. They're blessings, but God has given this to you. If you have a complaint, as was points out, you have no complaint against me. Your complaint against, is against God. You're working against God in this process, the Torah points out. So, in this case, God is the one who decides who is and who does, who doesn't, doesn't do what. Now, the great thing I also like in revisionist history, which the thought and are, are so good at doing, obviously, uh, is that they point out to Moses, you took us out of a land flowing with milk and honey to, and, to, and promised we would get one. We don't have one. Therefore, what you took us out of was better than we are now. You didn't deliver the land from milk and honey. Even if you blind all these men, gouge out their eyes, we're not going to believe you because you lied to us. See how great a manipulation there? Anybody recall what Egypt was supposed to be like? Remember the whole, the, slave, the slavery, the whipping, the, the starvation. We've seen the excavations of stuff and they've seen the, the malnourished bodies of young people dying young because of lack of food, because of hard labor and, and all the misery they t- went through. And yet, the thought of Biram have the gall to compare Egypt using the same words God promised the land of Israel would be. They, so they took God's words and threw them back at Moses, even though they came from God. It's a very dangerous game they played. Yes, uh, Alma. Pride is before the fall, and pride blinds people. You're absolutely right. It does. It's a very important thing. So we, we look at the, the sins of Korah on the Biram. You know, lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. And those sins, they don't have a lust of the eyes. There's not a lust of flesh issue. What's the issue with these men? Pride of life, the power. They wanted the influence, the power. The, the, they're, 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 they're gaining what they wanted. They wanted control they wanted to be lifted up and completely oblivious to the obvious stuff around. They all lived through, which has only been two years, they came out of Egypt. They all lived through it. These are all grown men. These aren't, these aren't babies. They all lived through it. They all saw these things, the, the Red Sea splitting. They saw the whole works. They wanted the power. They wanted the influence. Now, one, I believe it was, uh, was it Rama or Rashi had argued one of the things they were upset with is that they were not the ones in charge of their tribes. They weren't the leaders that were selected. 
because who got selected to be in charge of each tribe well god made the selection right god named the men i want this man in charge of that tribe that man in charge of this one that one over there in charge of this one god selected the leaders of the tribes and these men weren't among them so they have this 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 sense of well i have of entitlement i want the power i want the influence i want the control it's a pride of i what i want what's good for me what, what is but is blessed what i consider a blessing versus not now there's one thing that uh Aleph beta did cover which i thought was interesting which i did not again i didn't watch myself completely but i i'm a little bit about it hold on winds pick it up again try to put it back to the wind <laughs> so didn't bring the microphone too much um in the case of Aleph beta they pointed out that uh, it's interesting that they use the term the, the, the whole earth swallowing them up and such. And it, it, I'll have to look at that myself because I am curious about it. Because uh, as, as, as they pointed out that the job of the, the blue cloth was to swallow up the, the, holy, holy, the, 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 the ark and the other thing else, they would swallow them up. Same Hebrew word used to swallow them up. That the covers were put upon those, those items so that Korah and his line could then carry them. Uh, and so that same thing of here's the fire pans to as a swallowing up of the ar- of the the ark a covering of it of it so they had this whole idea this concept playing on words of swallowing so their job Cor- the chorus uh, family life's job family was to carry those items of god that were swallowed up in their covers and so god then comes along and says, okay moses <laughs> they're just gonna Open up and swallow you up too. <laughs> just a, it's a play on their jab. So your job was to carry the things that were swallowed. Cora, you want to get closer to me? You get as close as you can. Not a problem. I'll swallow you too. <laughs> no, yes. Uh, it, 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 sorry. That, it, 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 no, I thought Jared had to stand up. That's right. Uh, so it's interesting concept. It's play on words of that, which I think is funny. It's more of a comical thing rather than uh, anything ter- terribly serious. But what I do want to point out, have enough time to do that? I, I do. So, in the case of the 250 men, so we, so that's the Thanabiram, we'll, we'll, we'll leave them in their, in their, in their, in their earth graves now. Let's move on to 250 men and the other plagues that happen. 250 men, there's 250, we don't know all their names, doesn't matter. Some of them, it says men of renown, there may have been some of the leaders there, I'm not sure how many, mind you, there were 70 leaders total. I don't know how many actually of them were amongst 250, or maybe none at all, we don't know. But some percentage of them may have been a part of them as well. I'm not positive. The 250 men were all, of course, they had their, their, their sensors, fire pans built and, and put together. And then, of course, they get burned up by, by, by God, of course, since the sensor fire to consume them up. And, of course, sensors are then, of course, collected. So, it's interesting that the sensors were holy for two reasons. This is only 250 men. God didn't say, you know, burn the sensors and destroy them too. Two reasons were, one, they were offered to God. And the offered to God is holy. And number two, they were atoned for. What was their atonement method? The life of the 250 men. So each man, he offered his censor, and God, I'll take it, and I'm going to atone for it, burn you to bits. Now, the censor is now holy, both it was atoned, because your blood was used as his atonement, and, and now the censor is now holy. So both the, the 250 men, as well as Cor and his family, they all got what they wanted, mind you. They all got as close to God as you could get. They were going to cost them their life. But God had warned even Aaron, say, hey, the closer you get to me, the more I'm going to require of you. I require to be holy. 
You want to get one step closer, guess what? There's more responsibility given to you, and you will serve more. You will serve, you will be lower. The closer you get to God, the lower you are, because you're going to work harder. You're going to serve more. That's how the process works. So, and these men, they got as close as you could get. So close, it cost them their life. So that's about as close as you can get to God, and it, they, got, they got what they wanted. They wanted to be really close to him. Well done. Unfortunately, I don't think they, it came, the outcome didn't turn out the way they wanted necessarily, but they got what they wanted. They wanted to get close to him. They wanted to be like Aaron. And Aaron, they do the exact thing Aaron did. They offer this just like Aaron could offer. They, everything he could do, the exact same thing. That's great. That's close they're allowed to get. And then they could get no closer because they had to die. So it's a, it's a catch-22 in some ways. But God points out, he used the phrase in verse 3, chapter 17, that these, these men, they sinned against their soul. So their act of trying to get close to God sinned against their soul, their nefesh, their breath. So this is an interesting concept because the Nazarite vow has the same phrase. So when you get close to God, like a Nazarite gets close to God, if you make a mistake, Nazarite, this is number chapter, chapter 6 covers this topic, when you make a mistake against a sin against your soul, the Nazarite has to give an offering. And his previous work of getting close to God is now null and void. He has to start all over again because he sinned against his soul. The Nazarite did. Well, in these instances, these men all, being like the Nazarite, to get close to God as possible. I want to serve God and be there too, just like all the high priests are going to be there. That's great and wonderful. But unfortunately, it's a sin against your soul, just like it would be a Nazarite sin against your full soul. But these men didn't take the Nazarite vow, did they? So they tried to do what a Nazarite does with bypassing the Nazarite vow rules. A Nazarite vow, when he takes a vow, if he makes a mistake, it's sin against the Nazarite's soul. The Nazarite has to have a sin offering to offset because he already took the vow that he would do this. But these men tried to bypass the vow. I'm going to go around it and do it anyway in spite of not taking the vow. So when I sin, if you don't take the vow and you try to act like a Nazarite, and get closer to God than you were allowed. There isn't a sin to fix it. There's a sin offering that is to fix it. The Nazareth gets a sin offering because he took the vow to begin with. But the, these Israelites did not take a vow to begin with. So therefore, they tried to bypass it. So the sin offering was themselves. Uh, they tended to keep closest to God. Of course, it didn't work quite the way they wanted. Now, what is sin against your soul? Just so we all understand this. Soul is your breath and your, 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 your animation. The whole, take a, breath, take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. It's good for you, right? it's supposed to invigorate your blood and give and what is the life is in your blood right the whole idea of, of breath the breath of life the life is in your blood the breathing is what cleans your blood out of course gets new oxygen and all kind of good stuff we know the basics of of of, of uh, biology there so when you sin against your breath your soul your nefesh that, that gives you the strength to, to to live it's a sin against your cleanliness and your clean life so you've sinned against your soul is a sin against your life so when God says they sinned against their souls, they sinned against their lives. So they put their life on the line for this achievement to try to get what they wanted to get. So it is a sin against the life, therefore the life is the one that has to perish. Unfortunately, it's just how it works that way. So sinning against your soul is a sin against li- your life itself. Uh, let's see here. We go through... Okay, a few of the details before we'll, 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 we'll end this section... I think I have time to go through. Maybe I have time to go. Well, maybe not. I may have time to go through the next one. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how this one ends. So, I have a question for you. This is a rhetorical question. You have to answer. But just think about it for a minute. You ever notice 
when God says, Moses to Moses to Aaron, okay, separate yourselves for, from them so I'm going to kill them all. God says that a lot, actually. <laughs> Quite a few times. He repeats that a lot. Separate yourself, Moses Aaron, so I can kill them all off. Now, God's hand isn't limited. He can do anything he wants, right? He had the ability to have you know, fire leap out and kill individual indiv- people as he selectively killed them. And even when the ten spies lied and said how awful the other was, God selectively killed those ten immediately, not the whole group, just those ten, killed all those off, and then told everybody else, you know, it 40 years. He can selectively kill any individual that sins against him, right? Is there any limitation? As I say, well, God's, for example, let's pretend I made a mistake. And God said, Daniel, sorry, it's so severe, I'm going to take your life. And I said, okay, uh, I'll go grab, um, I'll go grab uh, 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 Victor right there. I'll hold on to him. <laughs> you can't take me because you're killing him too. Is God somehow limited to where if I grab a hold of Victor that, that there's no way he can kill me now? You may be pushing away, by the way, if that happens. <laughs> Keep it just, just in case. There is no limitation that God cannot just individually say, oh, that's all right, you can hold on to him, I'm killing you anyway. <laughs> There's no limitation. So we have to ask ourselves, God, why are you telling Moses and Aaron to separate yourselves? Isn't that hard? Even if I was standing next to somebody and they dropped dead. Oh, look, God struck you dead on the ground. I don't have to necessarily die. Is he in, incapable of making me not die and this one die? Is, that, is, that, is it not possible to do that? It's a strange concept. Why, why, why does God say, separate yourself, Moses and Aaron, because I'm going to kill them all off? And this is the only time it twice here. He does it a few times earlier, as far as even, even the, 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 the golden calf thing. Hey, I'll just kill them all off, Moses. We'll start over from scratch from you. That was God's comment a few times. And Moses keeps interceding every time. Which, that's your, that's your clue. God's asking this question, telling Moses this question, not because God is incapable of selectively targeting individuals. Mind you, some of us can die from individual things. It doesn't affect everybody else. It's not that he's incapable, but what was the reaction of Moses and Aaron every time God did this? Their immediate reaction wasn't, was, oh yeah, I'll set back, good, good riddance. <laughs> That wasn't, which I've got some of us may say, good riddance, but that was not the reaction. What was the reaction? They tried to intervene to just stop God. And God, don't, don't, don't do that. That's too much. That's unnecessary. And with one man sin, you kill the whole congregation. Or, or Aaron, go out and, 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 and with the censor and try to stop this. Or even Moses put out, you can't kill them all. Let me take care of this with the, with the golden calf. So many times, the whole objective of God's using was an example, and what was the response from Moses and Aaron? To intervene. So what does that tell us about Moses? What is it about what God values? Even though these rotten people are blaming Moses for everything that goes wrong, Moses still says, I'm going to intervene. I'm going to humble Humbly intervene on their behalf every time. What's the point, point of that? What's the purpose of that? What's the example for us? Our Messiah did it too. Intervene. The goal is to intervene. Even though these people don't deserve it, intervene. Yes, Larry. 
Does that mean that they actually put themselves in danger of being destroyed? In, in particular, Aaron did. We, we know that with the whole sensor thing, right? We know he ran straight toward the plague. He ran toward the, the disaster. In the case of, of, uh, of David, he also ran toward the disaster. Look, the plague's coming. He ran toward it instead of away from it. So the nature of putting yourself in the way of the, the disease or in the way of the problem to try to stop it in that way, that is the nature which God was saying, these are men that I respect. These are men that God favors. They tried to intervene on behalf as opposed to sticking, sticking back, okay, I'll just do my own thing and you guys can all just perish on your own way. That's your problem, not mine. That was not what God wanted. He needed the example, which we get repetition example. So what does a righteous person do then? When you see the world around you falling apart or deserving rottenness or, bl- or even blaming you for all their problems. Are you going to blame something you didn't actually do? Yeah, it happens. <laughs> was your fault, but you get blamed for it anyway. What happens? What you, yeah, our kids do all the time. Yeah. <laughs> every, every, every child goes in, I'm sure. But you get blamed for your... For, you didn't actually do it, but you get blamed for it anyway. And what's the point? What's the objective? What's the righteous person do? Intervene on behalf of the individual who actually is responsible. That's really hard for people to do. I, I, will, I will confess... That's hard for me to do. Intervene on behalf of the person who actually deserves the correction. That's hard to do. But that's the example Moses and Aaron do give to us. They try to intervene. Not just in this instance, but multiple instances. So the idea of intervening is important. It's hard to do as a, as, as a, but what a righteous person is supposed to do, right? Is it not what a righteous person does? Intervene on behalf of those who need intervention? Did not Messiah say, I can't fix those who are sick, not those who are healthy, right? The sinners, not those who are, who are doing things correctly, the those who, are, who need help. That's where you intervene. That's where you stop at. That's where you go into. That's the whole point of what this is going through. So I wanna, it, 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 it's, it's, fun, it's funny to me, at least, as far as Moses is concerned, that uh, this cycle goes through, that he, he has all these same blames. And we'll conclude with this one last comment about this, is that, did you notice and recall back when they first came out of Egypt and this is about the golden calf thing and God's going to kill these people off they're terrible and Moses says wait a minute if you kill them off the Egyptians will say because you were unable to bring them to the promised land that the Lord killed them in the wilderness and God relented alright go, you go deal with these golden calf worshippers so, but Moses' statement was fascinating because he claimed that the Egyptians would say, God, you were unable to do what you promised in bringing to the new, new, new land. So, God, having known Moses very well and knows repetitions really, really well, what does then God do for Moses? Okay, you claim the Egyptians will blame me for not bringing them in. Therefore, the Israelites will blame you, Moses, for not bringing them in. He turned about a flame, huh? <laughs> God, Moses correctly assumed the Egyptians would blame God for his inability to bring them to the promised land. But in, and at the same time, God says, Turn about's fair play, Moses. The Israelites are now going to blame you, Moses, for your failure to bring them into the promised land. Which is exactly what happened. So the thing that Moses was concerned about, God would have to experience of the Egyptians blaming God for his failures. And said Moses himself got the first-hand feel and experience what that's like. 
the, the Israelites blaming Moses for their failures. It's quite fascinating, but God does repetition on purpose, and I think he heard Moses' words really, really well. <laughs> so much so that even the same words that Moses warned God about, the, the Israelites would use the exact same phrase back against Moses himself. So now we understand Moses' response to this was actually more profound. Because that means we can see that if Moses responded this way, and this is how Moses responds when he had blamed for this, what would God respond to if he was blamed for this? The same way Moses responds. With that humbleness, that, okay, let's see if we can work this out and make, our, make, make this system work for us. Now, guys, they already have a 40-year death sentence. That's already, that's already been given. But the point is that God, Moses was able to try to, to humble himself and try to intervene, even though they get blamed, the exact same thing that Moses claimed all the nations about would blame God for. Now, the nations about didn't actually blame God for those things. They didn't say God was unable to, because clearly he did. He did it. He succeeded, he succeeded in doing so. But Moses being unable, he got to experience the one thing he was warning God about. Kind of, it, as I mentioned before we started out, that God uses repetition multiple ways again, 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 and again. So God used this same thing that Moses warned him about that he would have to experience. God says, not a problem, Moses. I'll make sure you experience this. It's funny, huh? I think it's funny. Maybe it's me. Sense of humor. It's comical as far as play on words. Play on events, I should say. Okay, so I'm going to conclude there because I don't have time to go through the Hoftor region portion, which was uh, uh, First Samuel about the whole uh, swapping out uh, people as far as not being in charge and want uh, Samuel in charge anymore. Uh, nor uh, uh, the other section of John, which says with, with the Messiah about uh, additional uh, uh, authority and such. Any comments or questions regarding this Torah portion? Uh, if you go online, if you, if you unmute yourself, we can hear you. Or if you're in the audience, raise your hand up and Jeff can run at you. Otherwise, we'll conclude. Okay, let's go conclude with a prayer then. Almighty God, I Father, thank you for our Torah portion. Thank you for our instruction, our Shabbat day of rest, and our weather, Father. The breeze is nice. Father, may you grant us peace and wisdom to do our best to follow your way of life, to follow your instructions, Father, to be good servants to you. For you are our God. You have given us the way of life, the way of how life works and how people work how to interact successfully with them. Also, Father, how to deal with them when they are unsuccessful with us. May you bless us, Father, in our efforts to follow your way in truth, that we will be good servants, even though the world around us may not like us. We glorify and ask your blessing on the balance of our day today, Father. We praise you in Yeshua's name. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at halel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Halel.info. Halel.info.